This morning I would invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have brought one along with you, to Mark chapter 2 and 3, or to follow along on the sermon outline that is available for you on the back table as well. Our gospel text for this day is one where it ends by saying, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. And then we say, this is the gospel of the Lord. That this is the good news, this betrayal of God's people against its Messiah is the gospel. Throughout our narrative this day, whether we hear it in our Old Testament lesson from Deuteronomy or in our epistle lesson that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Or in our gospel text, there is this thread of where we find rest and where this Sabbath restoration comes from. But as we listen, there's something happening here where the Pharisees are more concerned with their structure being upset and turned upside down for the status quo to be upended. That they begin to find fault in everything that Jesus does. They're looking for a reason not only to not like him, but to actually now destroy the man. Pharisaical fault-finding neglects what is really at stake. You see, it's always easier to point out someone else's sin than to take ownership in our own. It's a lot easier to say, didn't you see what that guy did? Didn't you see what she said? Or how they hurt one another? than it is to stop and say, man, I really messed up. I know I've said some things that are hurtful. I know I have done some things that were shameful. I know that I need your forgiveness as much as you need mine. You see, the devil had a role within the kingdom of God. And in the book of Job, it says that he is the great accuser. Meaning that he would wander around earth and then he would stand before God and say, did you see what your people did? Can you believe how unfaithful they are? And so when we point out the fault of others and we look and we say, can you believe what they've said? Can you believe what she's done? It begs the question of who we reflect. 
You see, we identify surface symptoms because calling out the actual disease is a whole lot scarier. It's like saying, you know what, I've got a headache. And so I'm going to take Tylenol and ibuprofen, and when that doesn't cut it, then I'm going to go for something stronger. And maybe the whole time what we're really avoiding is actually going to the doctor to get help for something that could be far more serious. Gentlemen, you know how this goes. This is one of those times when you might be out in the woods and you cut yourself and the first solution that you can come up with is we're going to take a little duct tape like a butterfly strip and we're just going to tie it back together. And then when we get back to camp, guess what? It's still open, so you got some super glue. We're just going to close that puppy shut. And then by the time you get back from camp, that thing is looking gnarly and red and stuff's starting to come out of it. And you go to the emergency room and they go, well, what have you done? And they well, I fixed it. <laughs> well, no, actually, you've made the infection a whole lot worse because you've closed it all inside. See, the Pharisees were all about pointing out the faults in Jesus they couldn't stop and take ownership in their own. They were directing the attention elsewhere so that they could deflect that focus away from themselves. And it's all about timing, right? Because when it makes them look good, when it shows how powerful and how wise and how upstanding and wealthy and whatever else they can possibly conceive of, then they're all about having the focus on themselves. But the second that somebody starts to go, yeah, you know what? If you actually read Scripture, right? This is what Jesus does today. He says, if you had actually read Scripture, if you had dug into the narrative of what God is doing, then you could go back and recollect that time when King David went and ate the bread of the presence off of the altar. Right? Remember that time that King David, the house of David, the guy that everybody wants to have their lineage traced back to because somehow that's where the king is coming from? That guy, by the way, he broke the law too. But the difference between knowing what the law says and understanding why the law says it depends on which way the scales are tipped in our direction. Right? You get pulled over. Lord, show me mercy. Let me get off with a warning. You see another guy pulled over and you go, I hope he gets what's coming to him. And it all depends on which side of the scale 
But the reality is, is that no one wants a tattletale when they really just need a friend. See, accountability and grace go hand in hand. Law and gospel are inseparable from each other. One balances out the other. See, we can't proclaim gospel truth when someone is comfortable in their sin. See, Jesus can't come into the Pharisees and say, Guess what? John 3.16, we read that last week. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Instead, he has to hold up the mirror and bring down the harsh hammer of the law, show them their own faults so that they are convicted by the law before He can apply the salve of the gospel. We can't skip the Good Friday ugliness. We can't skip that whole mess of sin that happens on the cross and go straight to the resurrection of Easter. We have to have both. So in our relationships with one another, our love for folks through God's Spirit outweighs our discomfort in walking through the broken shards of lawlessness to proclaim His promise of restoration. This means that sometimes we actually have to be down in the middle of the mess. We have to sift past all of the discomfort, all of those things that we would otherwise seek to avoid and actually still walk beside one another so that we still proclaim the promise. You see, perspective always benefits from some Sabbath insight. Right, We come to worship. And we have this idea that I'm coming and I'm offering God my best. And so we wear suits and we dress nice or we wear the best we can come up with. And that's great. See, I grew up in a place where if you didn't show up in a suit, then you were shown someplace else to sit. Not cast out, but just kind of you might sit in the back. Because when you show up for worship, sometimes we have this idea that it's about what we bring God and what we do for God. And our worship is supposed to bring Him glory and praise and laud and honor. And yet the Sabbath is completely the opposite of that. The Sabbath, as Jesus says today, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. We are called to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy for our sake and not for God's. God is already holy. We don't do anything to make that happen. That's part of who He is. And instead, 
Worship is where he comes to us through his means of grace because we need that rest and refreshment with God. The pace of how we live is set by how we rest. When we are physically tired, we are also exhausted in every other aspect of our life. We are less likely to give the benefit of the doubt. We are more likely to nip and bite and to be short-tempered. We are more likely to do things that we know we ought not do. But spiritual rest demands a Sabbath restoration where we are refilled by God's grace, not just for our sake, but also for others around us. We are called to be led by the Spirit of God so that we can walk in His steps and not our own. I remember hiking with my dad as a kid. And we were going out in the woods and he was scouting something for hunting and I was just doing the best I could to keep up. And I was trying to step my foot inside his. And sometimes I could do it. But other times, my stride wasn't as long as his, and I kind of misstepped a little bit here, or I slipped a little bit there. We are called to be led by the Spirit of God so that we walk in His steps and not our own. You see, the author of 1 John has a way of saying this where we are called to test the spirits. And the writer actually says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And all of a sudden, that benchmark for where we are supposed to step, how we are supposed to rest, becomes crystal clear. Because if the things that we say and do and confess and preach and teach and the way that we live reflects anything other than Jesus Christ made flesh, then we've missed the point and we are reflecting someone, something else. You see, our busyness cannot be justified by productivity. And I would be the first to admit that this is a trap that I slip into where I feel like 
the more time that I have to do something, I can stay up all night to get it done. And yet the quality of what we do when we are exhausted and tired is never going to be as good as it is when we are well rested. And now all of a sudden, all of these issues with the Pharisees start to line up. They are a people that have strived after their own means, their own success, their own end. And so they've lost sight of the goal. They've lost sight of the one that they are supposed to follow so that now when he stands in their very midst, they don't see him. And instead they see the man before them as a threat. The question becomes, which spirit do we follow and what fruit do we produce? There's something fascinating that happens at the end of our reading. It says, again, on another time, Jesus goes into the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand. He was afflicted. And the Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. They saw the man suffering, and instead of seeing the man himself, they saw him as an object, as a means to an end to trap Jesus. So Jesus says to the withered hand, man with a withered hand, come here. And then he turns and asks the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Right? And the answer should be obvious. We are called and equipped to make a difference and we have a responsibility to actually do so. And it says that the Pharisees stood there silent. And so Jesus looked at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus grieved over the hardness of the Pharisees' heart towards a man who needed a real restoration. We are called to grieve over injustice and lament over the indifference of otherwise good men. Where we can't stand by without being complicit. Because we are actually called to make a difference. Jesus said to the man, stretched out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. We live to love and be loved by Christ, so we love those whom he loves. See, Jesus restores the whole body and not just the hand, because this is a whole lot more than just dealing with flesh. 
He says, right now, I'm going to put a band-aid on the issue. I'm going to treat the symptom because I have the cure for the disease. In a world determined to be self-destructive, God calls us to own our faults and then offer them up to Him as we find His grace and the restoration. See, this is where the gospel hope of Jesus' resurrection is in the middle of their plots for His death. It had to happen this way. And for that reason, we can end the gospel reading and say, this is the gospel of the Lord. So this day, as God comes to us through his means of grace, through word and sacrament, rest well in the Sabbath restoration so we can live love and serve in the work that God does through it so that he gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.